It's Monday, August the 2nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Trump's war chest and a hike in Pfizer's prices. First, the world in brief. Donald Trump has $102 million in political cash available, making him the most dominant fundraiser in America's Republican Party. The former president raised more than $56 million via WinRed, an online donations platform in the first half of the year, more than any other Republican. Some of the donations are shared with the party, but Mr. Trump also raised $21 million for political action committees that he controls directly. America and Britain blamed Iran for an attack on the oil tanker Mercer Street off the coast of Oman. Two crew were killed on July 29th when a drone carrying explosives hit the Japanese-owned Liberian-flagged vessel, which is operated by Zodiac Maritime, an Israeli firm based in London. The Americans and British accuse Iran of threatening freedom of navigation through international waters. Square, a digital payments firm co-founded by Jack Dorsey, is to buy Afterpay, which offers installment loans for $29 billion in shares. Afterpay, which was founded in Australia in 2014, allows customers to pay in installments without owning a credit card or paying interest. Their merger should allow retailers using Square's point-of-sale technology to offer buy-now-pay-later services. A Belarusian sprinter alleged that her Olympic team tried to remove her forcibly from Japan on Sunday, leading to a dispute at Tokyo's Haneda airport. In the early hours of Monday, she said she was in a, quote, secure situation at a police station there. Activists close to the athlete said she planned to apply for asylum in Austria or Germany. Zoom, a video conferencing firm, agreed to pay $86 million to settle a lawsuit in America. Plaintiffs had faulted Zoom for sharing personal data with third parties and accused it of making misleading claims about encryption. The company denied any wrongdoing, but said it has improved security. Zoom became a household name when much of the world suddenly switched to working from home. General Min Ong Lai, the military ruler of Myanmar, named himself Prime Minister and extended a state of emergency by two years. He also promised to hold elections. In the six months since the army seized power, nearly 7,000 political opponents have been arrested and hundreds killed. A meeting today of ASEAN should finally produce an envoy who will be tasked with brokering peace. Pfizer raised the price of its COVID-19 vaccine by more than 25% after trial data showed that the jabs were more effective than cheaper shots developed by Oxford AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. Contracts seen by the Financial Times relating to the European Union's procurement deals showed that the price of a Pfizer dose increased to €19.50, $23.14, from €15.50. And fact of the day, 80, the number of times that the Thames barrier has been closed since 2010. In the first decade after it was built, it was closed just 10 times. And now, here's today's agenda. Who needs the dollars? America blacklists Chinese firms. A number of Chinese companies with connections to the country's army will become off-limits to American investors today. 
The initiative to block American money from reaching a long list of Chinese firms began during Donald Trump's administration. The Biden administration has kept it going and last week required further disclosures from every China-based company with an American listing, prompting many asset managers to cleanse their portfolios of the Chinese securities. The list of companies affected by the ban includes military contractors such as AVIC, an aerospace group, and North Industries Group, a weapons maker. But more banal outfits such as China Mobile and China Unicom, the country's mobile network operators, have also been banned. The approach may have unintended consequences. Analysts at Hua Xi Securities, a Chinese broker, have said that America's attempt to, quote, lock China out of technological advancement has actually spurred a wave of growth at many small military contractors. Take to the skies, restarting international travel. From today, England will allow fully vaccinated visitors from the European Union and America into the country without having to quarantine. Some Brits might not welcome throngs of tourists around Big Ben and Oxford Street during a pandemic, but restarting air travel will help the economy's recovery. And research has shown there is a way to do it safely. One study by the Mayo Clinic, an American healthcare group, suggests there is a 1 in 10,000 chance of a passenger infected with COVID-19 boarding a plane from Britain to America and a 1 in a million chance of transmission on board with proper testing, mask wearing and other protections in place. Now there is more pressure on America to reciprocate. Governments are lobbying for a reopening. Still, once people are packed up, masked up and through check-in, they might find that the long haul to a boardroom in New York is less fun than they remembered. A region in crisis, COVID-19 in Southeast Asia. Senior officials from ASEAN, the 10-member club of Southeast Asian nations, meet today to discuss pressing issues facing the region. Foreign ministers are expected to select the long-awaited special envoy to Myanmar, who will have the job of brokering a diplomatic resolution to the crisis engulfing the country since the coup in February. But they will be most preoccupied by the pandemic. Low vaccination rates and the rapid march through the region of more transmissible variants of COVID-19 mean that almost every country is experiencing its worst wave yet. This month, Indonesia surpassed India as Asia's hotspot. With oxygen supplies dwindling and hospitals overcrowded, some healthcare systems are near collapse. Death rates are soaring. Indonesia, Malaysia and Myanmar were among the 20 countries with the most deaths per million people in the week to July 29th. Myanmar in particular is hoping that it will be able to tap into ASEAN's COVID-19 fund. Just 3% of its population is vaccinated. Whose house is it anyway? A verdict for Sheikh Jarrah. Today, Israel's Supreme Court will rule on the possible eviction of Palestinians from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah, a neighborhood in East Jerusalem. The families have lived there for seven decades. Unease about the court's verdict was one factor behind the violence that broke out between Israelis and Palestinians in May. The nub of the case is land ownership. Israeli settler groups purchased the rights to the land from Jewish families who lived there before Israel's independence in 1948. 
Under Israeli law, Jews who can prove a title from before 1948 can claim back their properties, but no equivalent right exists for Palestinians, such as the residents of Sheikh Jarrah. Israelis and Palestinians alike are primed for further tension. If the court finds in favor of the Jewish settlers, the government may postpone any evictions in the hope of preventing even more violence. Rising from the Ashes, Lebanon's Treasures The Archaeological Museum at the American University of Beirut, founded in 1868, is a venerable institution. Its collection contains items from across the Middle East, some dating from the early Stone Age. Its treasures survived the Second World War and Lebanon's civil war between 1975 and 1990. But on August 4, 2020, when 2,750 tonnes of ammonium nitrate exploded in a warehouse less than five kilometres away, there was nothing to be done. The force of the blast sent display cases tumbling. One vitrine contained delicate glass objects, including vessels from the Roman, Byzantine and Islamic periods. On July 27th, the British Museum in London announced that it would help to restore eight of those objects, Many were unsalvageable. The work will be painstaking. The shards not only have to be positioned correctly, but require tension to return to their original shape, but will at least recuperate some of the country's cultural losses. Summer Quiz, Week 3 Up for another battle with our baristas in a summer quiz? For Week 3, we'll again serve up a daily question. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Monday. What is the name of the first-ever female commissioner of the Metropolitan Police? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alexander Graham Bell, who died on this day in 1922. A man, as a general rule, owes very little to what he is born with. A man is what he makes of himself. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 